This light doesn't help the sweating already. <laughs> but how awesome is it, right, that we could come with the freedom and the joy. You know, in, in my former life, the parties, the clubs, see, whatever I live, doesn't surmount to the fun that I have here. Yeah. The joy that I get in the presence of God is just beautiful. Amen. Well, it's really interesting. Can you guys lower this a tad bit? Thank you. It's really interesting that, uh, you know, we started the book of Nehemiah four months ago. And when we started, it was snowing. We're four months in. We're nine chapters deep into the book, and it's snowing outside, ladies and gentlemen. So as I woke up this morning, the song that came on my mind, and I don't know why, and I don't care about this song, but it was, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It hit me, so I was like, Lord, I don't know what you're doing in April, but you're doing something. Got to overcome it. Got to overcome it. There you go. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Well, what I would like to do this morning as we jump into the Word of God is I want to be able to just refresh our memories. Now, I know, as I said, it's been about four months, right? Nine chapters in. A lot has been going on in our body here with our leadership, with us. And I know that we've seen a lot of amazing things what God has done, even physically with buildings and spiritual stuff here, right? And so if you're the first time with us, you're visiting us, thank you for being here. This will help you catch up to date and to see why we are preaching on Nehemiah 10 today. If you visit us before and you're just coming again, well, then hopefully you can jump right in and it wouldn't be foreign to you. And for those of us that have been here from the beginning of this series, well, then it's going to help us to kind of look at the grand picture of the scheme and understand what was going on from chapter 1 all the way to the current chapter of 10 that we're in today. And so as we look at this, I want us to be uh, open-minded to receive what God is going to do this morning in our lives. Amen? Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, in chapter 1, we saw it kick off with Slaughter talking about trauma. There was trauma going on with the Israelite people. A lot of things that they experienced. We saw Pastor Massey jump back into it and begin to show that the walls that were broken in Jerusalem was a spiritual reflection of the covenant that was broken with Israel and God. We see then in chapter 3 that the work needed to be started, but that everyone needed to be fully engaged in participating in the work that God had called Israel to do. In chapter 4, we begin to see that there's opposition externally that starts coming against the work that God has ordained. In chapter 5, we begin to see internal opposition that's starting to attack the people of God that Nehemiah had to restore and bring order from the oppression that was going on. In chapter 6, we see the grand finale of the wall being complete despite continuous opposition that Israel was receiving. They finished the wall. It was a joy. It was completed. Chapter 7 kicks off with then taking a census of the exiles that had left, that had came back to Jerusalem. And through that, they began to, who they were recognizing was Israel, and who were they excluding and saying, no, you cannot prove your status, so we cannot allow you to be entered into this. Then in chapter 8, the institution of the reading of the word is re-brought back to God's people. And what happens in chapter 8? The people of God respond in a way. Then in chapter 9, which is where Pastor Massey left us off last week, where he began to show us that there was two forms of confessions that were made by the Israelite people. The first confession was a casting down of the sins that they had committed, that the forefathers have committed, that they were bearing on that weight, saying, God, it was us and our forefathers have sinned against you. And then the second part of the confession was of a praise and exaltation to God of saying, but despite our unfaithfulness, despite where we got it wrong, despite our rebellion, God, you were faithful. You didn't abandon us. You were faithful to the covenants that you made with our forefathers. And that brings us up to today. 
Today now we're in chapter 10. So as we see beginning from a broken covenant to chapter 10, looks at one pivotal truth. And the overarching truth of chapter 10 is this. Is that uh, covenant restoration requires separation and obligation. Another way to think of that is that the covenant relationship that Israel had with God was broken. And in order for them to restore that, they had to separate themselves from something. And then they had to obligate themselves to something as well. And so this morning, we're going to see that. We're going to see how we're going to break that down into three points of what was the covenant, what was the separation, and what is the obligation that Israel had to go to with that. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, within this, there was three words that the Lord kept highlighting to me as I was looking through the last nine chapters of Nehemiah. And it was the word people, the word law, and the word covenant. And there was a theme with these three words. And it's amazing because this morning Pastor Massey was helping me process this. And he said what it was, was that the Lord was giving Israel a gift of relationship. That's the people. And then through the law, he gave them the gift of direction. Aren't those the two things on this earth that most humans strive to understand and follow? Why am I here on this earth? What is my purpose? Where am I going? What is it about? What is after this to come? And then how am I intertwined with other human beings? How does my created image work with the creator himself? What does the relationship tie into all of this? And so that's how the people, the law, and the covenant come together in this book. The book that shows brokenness can be rebuilt when we separate ourselves or we come to the obligation of what we need to do in the eyes of God. Amen. With this, there were two phrases that got repeated in the entire book of Nehemiah in the 13 chapters. And it was the phrase, put in my heart. Nehemiah said this referring to that God had put two things in his heart that burdened him. The first thing was, it was the walls that were broken. God put it on his heart to inquire of the status of what was going on in Jerusalem in chapter 1. And then chapter 2, he had to pray and petition and then be prepared to be sent out to do the work. The second thing is in, uh, is in Nehemiah chapter 7. And what God put on his heart then was the people of God. God was concerned about the wall. He was concerned about the people. But spiritually, he was concerned about the relationship. And he was concerned about the direction they were going. It's kind of like this morning. I feel like the Holy Spirit kind of just threw me an underhand. And all I got to do is, it's not me, it's not my strength, it's just him. Because as the words that were going forth in prophecy, as the words that were being spoken out and read, what was it saying? Just come back to me. Just come back to me. Right? And that is the point of a covenant. Is that when we, it doesn't matter how far we went down the road. It doesn't, follow, it doesn't matter how bad that road looks like. The moment we turn back, to a reformation, a restoration of a covenant with God, he is there to say, come back, to build us up, to fill us with the strength, to fill us with the joy. Because just as much as it is when the Lord says, come back to me, is a choice. Well, the joy that we fill is also a choice. We have to choose to be undignified this morning, right? We had to choose to get on our faces this morning. We had to choose to press in despite the winterness of what it should be feeling like spring to get here this morning, right? But we did it. That's the choices that we're looking at this morning. And that's the choices that we are each given this morning. So turn with me now to the, uh, Nehemiah chapter 9. 
And we're going to begin by looking at the last verse, which is verse 38. This is the last verse that Pastor Massey read in closing last week. And this is the first verse that I will begin with. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38 says, Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. What is going on here? The leadership of Israel is saying that something needs to be done. Physically, the walls were already complete. But something else is lacking. The covenant that had been broken needs to be done with. And they are saying, we are taking a stance. And we are going to do something about this. We're going to set the precedence. We're going to set the charge. And we're going to show that those then who want to make the same choice as us will also then be able to experience the blessings that come with following the Lord. It's interesting that in verse 38, that it says that they sealed this document with their names. The sealing shows almost like a wax seal being put on there and then pressing in their names into this. What that's showing is that the authority and the power that this leadership had been given, the governors, the Levites, the priests, and the chiefs, that they were coming in one accord and unification saying, we need to do this. We just confessed. Now the next thing is, is to take a stand of action and we need to come into agreement and say, we are coming together and we are going to restore something that had been broken. And they're putting all their authority into something that they're saying nothing could be added and nothing could be taken away from this. It's something that's sealed. It's something that is closed. It's something that cannot be done with. And this is what we call a covenant. Now, as I was looking through the word of God and I was really trying to grasp, God, what is a covenant? Is it an agreement? Is it kind of like a contract? Like, what is this that we are trying to figure out? And then I began to just look at the Greek and the Hebrew word in totality. The consensus of the word that the Bible shows of what a covenant is, is something that passes through then to divide. So it's a passing through. And it's interesting because you may think, like, what does a covenant have to do with something that passes through? Then it divides. It almost separates something. And so we can now turn uh, to Genesis 15. We're going to look at verse 7. This is the first, this is the second time that the word is mentioned. The first time is with Noah. When he talks about Noah going into the boat and having to close the boat. And showing that those who were in the boat would be saved by the wrath of God. And that those who are outside the boat would be damned to his wrath. Including with the water which was a separation of life and death. In Genesis 15, beginning in verse 7 through 11, it reads... And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of, from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh, Lord, how am I to know that I am to possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and I laid each half against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when, the, and when the birds of the prey came down on the carcass, Abraham drove them away. Jump down to verse 17 now. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land. 
from the river of Egypt to the, to the great river of the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Kezizites, the Kedmonites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, the Rephim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Practice makes perfect. No. I stood up all night just to say those. That's true. So what is going on here? Genesis 15, making a covenant with him, saying, I'm going to give you an offspring that's going to populate this world, right? And he's like, well, how do I know this is going to happen? How am I going to know that I'm going to actually possess this? God's like, go get these animals and place them here and then cut them in half. And so what God was showing, take these animals that are one part and you're going to split them to make them two parts. And then you're going to lay them over each other like this. And then we see in the 17 verse 20, then at night, what did this uh, torch of fire, this pot do? It moved through the two parts that were once whole. And so what God was then saying, he says, I'm giving you this land. And then he listed off the people of the land. The reason why he listed off the people of his land is because the people of the land were identifying with one part of the animal that was separated. Abraham's offspring to come was the other part. So what God was saying is that humanity were all these animals that were one. God says, split them in half. There's a division, a separation. And then when God's spirit comes and he moves through these two pieces, he's saying, these are going to be for me, and these are not going to be for me. These are going to be my people. Do you guys see that? Yeah. This is very interesting that we need to understand. This is what a covenant looks like, is going in and separating two things to make them one, not with each other, but to make them one with the one who's making a covenant with them. Let's go to Exodus 14. Let's look at verses 19 through 20. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and a little the night without one coming near the other all night. What's going on here? The context. The Lord had delivered Egypt, or sorry, Israel out of Egypt. They're going, they confront the Red Sea. What do they start to do? Panic, complain, forget the Passover, the blood that cleansed them, the blood that set them free. They are forgetting the servant, uh, the servant Messiah figure that Moses was to them. And what does Moses say? Stick out your staff. He's going to split the Red Sea for them so that they can walk through. But then what does he do with the pillar of cloud that was before them? He takes it and he puts it between them and Egypt that is coming. That's another sign of the covenant that he is making with them. Showing like, look, I made a covenant with you, with Abram. I'm bringing you out of Egypt and I'm making another covenant with you. And I'm passing through you. And just as Israel was able to go through the dry land and the cloud moved in front of them then, what happened as soon as all of Israel was on the other side and Egypt was trying to cross through the Red Sea? He swelled them up, took them away, a separation. Egypt was not God's people. Egypt did not have a covenant with the God of covenants. But Israel, God's people, had the covenant with God. God is showing them and showing them, I make a covenant with you. I affirm this covenant with you. And these covenants cannot be broken. 
the covenant of Abraham was an unconditional covenant. That means that God's favor on them was nothing to do with what Israel can do, but the fact that God decided to choose them and to separate them for himself. Amen. Do we have an illustration, uh, Dessa, the picture that I sent up? Amen. So this here is what is threshing or what you would call winnowing. We got the shaft and we got the grain. Part of this and the Hebrew word for this for a covenant was winnow. And so this is my best part at 530. This is where this idea came from. So bear with me. <laughs> this is not a winnowing basket for the purpose of this morning. It's a winnowing basket. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> winnowing is a method of separation that's agricultural from back, back in the days. Many cultures from all over the world have been doing this. And what they do is they will get like the harvest at harvest time and they will use a basket and they can do a couple of things with it. They'll put it in and at the bottom it'll be enough for the seeds to fall out. And they'll begin to shake it like this. And that's winnowing. And what is going on is the shaft and the seed are being separated, right? The seeds fall down and then they get the, they get the, uh, the shaft and they throw it and eventually they burn it. Another way that they did it was they shook it like this, right? Pastor Slaughter was sharing with me also that they have a winnowing fork. And that the fork was almost like a pitchfork. And that they would dig into it, shake out the seeds, and then toss the excess behind them. And what's interesting with this is the shaft is they said anything that has to be winnowed, what's winnowed, what's taken apart, is actually undigestible to the human body. It says it can be digested by animals, but not to the humans. So think about that. Even in agricultural, we can get this. We can get the sense of saying, hey, there's things that we can consume and we cannot consume. There are things that literally will have no nutritional uh, impact on our lives, and therefore there's no point to even to consume them. We need to shake them and get rid of it. Yeah. Well, this is the same concept of what a covenant is. Is God is saying, I'm getting people and I'm shifting. I'm shaking. I'm making a covenant with you. And this is what God is doing this morning with every one of us. This is what God should have been doing with us from the beginning when we first came into a covenant relationship with him. When we began to put our faith and trust in him by the drawing of the spirit, that he began to put us in the winnowing and shift. Take everything out of us, the sin, right, the addiction, the change that we have, and he's shifting it out of us, shifting it out of us. So that what's falling then he could use as good seed, and he could plant that seed, and what's going to happen? Something's going to grow, something's going to bear fruit, and then it's going to be a blessing to this nation. Do we have another photo, Dessa? This would be an example of the winnowing. You can see these people have the weave basket up here. You can see what's down here is the seed, and you can see what's all around it is a shaft. You can see a distinct separation between these two. And so this is very vital for us to understand of what was broken in chapter 1, what was needing to be repaired throughout all these nine verses to get to the point of chapter 10, of where we're at right now. So for us, the application is, has every one of us in this room, have we been winnowed by God? Have we come into a covenant relationship with the creator of heaven and earth? I'm not naive to believe that everyone here has that relationship. The beautiful thing for those of us who do have that covenant relationship is that at any point in time by the leading of the Spirit, we can submit ourselves to that process of being shaken back out. We could always come back to the Father as we heard the words going forth this morning. But for those of us that have never even, even entered into that covenant, that have never submitted ourselves to the process of being windowed, this morning could be your process. 
This morning could be the beginning process of what that could look like. And after service today, we're going to have people to come up here and pray, and we could be able to see God move in that way. And so if God is beginning to stir your hearts up, we'll let him. Don't deny the moving of the winning of the spirit of God that he wants to do in every one of our lives. Because this is what we got to do. But the encouragement for every one of us this morning, it isn't that this is just a one-time process. Every morning we should wake up and God say, when on me, God. When on me, Lord. Shake out of me, God, anything that wants to affect my covenant relationship with you this morning. Shake out of me everything that wants to get in the way to break what you have went out of your way to fix into my life. And this is where we have to be, saints. This is the unity that every one of us need. Because when all of us are waking up every morning and doing this, how are we able then to worship the Lord this morning on Sundays? How are we to worship the Lord at home groups? How are we going to worship the Lord at discipleship helps? How are we going to worship the Lord on Friday nights with the youth? How are we going to worship the Lord at Spanish ministry on certain Sundays? How are we going to worship the Lord in any given ministry time that we have? We'll do it with unity. We'll do it with a sense of direction. We'll do it with a unified relationship that only God can restore in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. The second thing that we are going to see is that for a covenant to be restored, it's going to take a separation. There's a separation, as we talked about the winnowing, that separates, right? Now, there's a separation that the people had to do in Israel, in Egypt, or sorry, in Jerusalem, from the rest of the people that were there to identify themselves as God people doing God things at God's appointed time. So now let's look at chapter 10, verses 1 through 31. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 31 reads, On the seals are the names of Nehemiah the governor, the sons of Hekeliah, Zedekiah, Sarariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pasher, Amariah, Melchahai, Matush, Shibani, Maluk, Harim, Miramah, Obadai, Daniel, Genethal, Baruch, Meshulam, Abijah, Mijamin, Mazim, Bilgai, Shemaiah, these are the priests, and the Levites, Jeshu, the son of Azaniah, Benuai, of the sons of Henadad, Kadmiel, and their brothers, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Keleta, Peliah, Hannah, Micah, Rehob, Heshavai. I'm going there, right? <laughs> halfway through, guys, halfway through. <laughs> Zakur, Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Benai, Benu, the chiefs of the people, Perosh, Pahath, Moab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Buni, Asgai, Bebai, Adonijah, Bigvai, Adin, Atur, Hezekiah, Azur, Hodiah, Hashem, Beziah, Harith, Anatham, Nabiah, Hagpayash, Meshulam, Hazair, Meshulebel, Zadak, Jadua, Pelatai, Hanan, Ananiah, Hosea, Hananiah, Heshub, Helohesh, Pilha, Shobah, Rehom, Heshhanam, Mashe, Ahiah, Hananah, Ananah, Malak, Harim, and Banah. Yeah! <laughs> that was rough, y'all. <laughs> No, Lord. 
All right, let's get back at it. Uh-oh, verse 28. Mm-mm. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's laws that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. What do we see here? The leaders of Israel recognized the covenant was broken. The walls were fixed. Something needed to be done. The leader stepped up and said, we are going to take the charge. We are going to step on in faith. And we are going to continue to obey the Lord. And we will set the precedence. They say, we're going to make a firm covenant. We're going to seal it with our names with the fullest authority. We're going to lock it in. And then what we're going to do is we're going to lead the way. And then the men, if you saw that, it said the men. The men, their wives, their children, their brothers, and their nobles. The men, the husbands, the fathers, Wife, daughter, son, let's go. The leaders are going in this direction. We need to go in this direction. You're going to follow my leading, which is the leading of our leadership, and we're going to follow where the Lord is going. Do you see the unity there? So for us in this room, if you're not an elder, if you're not a pastor, if you're not a deacon, if you're not a home group leader, if you're not overseeing any type of ministry, this word is still for you today. Husbands, fathers, lead your wives, lead your children. Leave into the direction that our leadership here, that the Lord has instituted, that the Lord has given visions for. Follow that leading by the Lord. Trust by faith what God is doing in this body. Trust by faith what the Lord is doing by the word, by his spirit in this body. This is how we will set the precedence. This is how we will continue to keep a restored covenant with God's seal. This is how we will continue to not be unshaved. This is how we will continue to press forward and press on and so that our covenants with God will not be broken. This is how we can hold our leadership accountable. What direction are they going in? Where is the transparency? Where is the accountability? When Pastor Massey can come up here in humility and share that he had an ungodly response to a situation the day before, what does that say about him? What does that show about our leadership? Instead of hiding that, instead of acting like that wasn't nothing, Instead of not just writing that off and saying, I can do that. Instead of holding a standard for every one of us, but saying that he could have a lower standard. That's not what he's doing. What he is saying is like, hey, just like every one of us has our days, just like every one of us doesn't always act godly, we could always have the choice to return to that in any given moment. And just as the open confession, the open transparency is there, we as the body can love him and bless him and support him. So then just as our leadership is here, and then every one of us, when we don't act in certain ways that are godly, what can we do? We can live transparent lives. We can come before our leaders and say, look, I got it wrong here. The Lord has forgiven me. Can you forgive me? And our leaders will say, you are blessed. You are forgiven. God bless you. Continue to press on. Continue to seek the Lord in your ways. And God will bless what that endeavor looks like. Could I have Pastor Slaughter, Elder Ben, or yeah, Elder Ben, and Deacon Paul come up here? 
And then could I also have um, Austin and Andrew come up here? And then could I have you three gentlemen come up here, Brian, Luke? And could I have all you guys stand on this side for me? So we're going to have Brian and Valentine and Luke. You guys are just going to stay right there and do nothing. Just stand there, all right? <laughs> so with this as an example of is exactly what was going on in Jerusalem at this time. We as the leaders, as our pastor Slaughter and Ben and uh, Paul, our deacon, as they deciding to be a leader and to lead the way and to say we're not going to no longer stay in a stuck, broken relationship, but we're going to come on this side and we're going to make the decision to then lead. There was a separation there with our leaders. They're setting the example of what was going on in Jerusalem. And then as they did that, the rest of the people have a choice here. They could choose to stay and do nothing and let a covenant be broken. Or they could choose to take the leading of the leadership here in this church just as they did there. And they can go. They made a choice. It's a choice, saints. Just as it was a choice for Israel and Jerusalem, some stayed. Leadership went, and then those had a choice to come. They came. This is an example of what happened then, and this is an example of what could go on every day here with us. When leadership is casting a vision for us, when leadership is showing what God is trying to do, and we, out of offense or anger or we didn't agree or we don't like, we push back. We have disagreements. We threaten that we're going to leave the church. We're threatened we're going to do all these things. Is that making the right choice to submit and to follow the leadership of our God? Is that making the right choice to unify the covenant that God has given every one of us here? That we are not just unified with God, but that we are unified with the leadership that is here. Because the image of this is just like a husband and just like a wife. The image here is showing, look, as God comes in and he separates and then he draws those, he separates and says, you are mine. And just as a man shall leave his mother's father and cleave to his wife and they should become one flesh. This is what they decided to do. And this is what we need to decide to do every time we come together, is decide that we're going to be one with the Lord and one with the leadership here and one with each other. Thank you, guys. Thank you. The Lord loves you guys. There's repentance. Thank you, Valentine. Thank you, Luke. That one's empty. <clears throat> As we saw in verses 30 through 31, where it says, we will not give our daughters, this is in chapter 10, we will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exact exaction of every death. What is going on here? is that people are saying, Lord, we are going to do something to separate ourselves from the people. And just because they do those things, just because they don't regard your holy days, just because they have no respect for the order that you have instituted with your covenant, we're going to choose differently, God. We're going to do something different here. And what it's showing is that we are God's people, and we adhere to God's ways. And that's part of what a covenant that's going on here. And this is part of the restoration of the covenant that's going on in chapter 10 here. In the time of Nehemiah, this is what this looks like. Now we're going to read Deuteronomy 29, 29. Let's turn there. 
there's something pretty interesting about this verse too that I have to confess. In the realm of the prophetic and in the realm of visions and dreams, um, I, the first time I heard this verse, I was like, oh, well, if the Lord reveals something to me about the prophetic, like, then I got to act on it, right? Sure, that's, that's well enough. But I never paid attention to the context of where this verse lied in until yesterday. And the Lord was just showing me what does it look like to do, live out Deuteronomy 29, 29. And it says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. What is going on here? The context of this is during a covenant reformation. You see, what happened, what's going on in Nehemiah chapter 10 is not the first time that a covenant needed to be renewed by Israel. This is actually the sixth time that it's happened. And then in chapter 13, it's going to happen one more time. So in the totality of the Tanakh, Israel had to remake themselves a covenant with the Lord that they had broken over and over and over again. We see this with Moses. He had to do this after they made the golden calf. He had to renew the covenant. We see this right before Moses died to be alone on a mountain, before he passed the baton to Joshua, which is the context of 29. He has to renew the covenant. We see this with Joshua in chapter 24, where he says, choose this day who you will serve. For me and my household, we will serve the God. He's saying we will keep to the covenant. We see this with Hezekiah. We see this with Asa. We see this with uh, Ezra. We see this with Nehemiah. We see this over and over again, a returning bad to. What we would call these rightfully so are reformers. These are true reformers. True reformers are the people that don't just say, hey, one or two things are going off by the church and we just need to fix those, but they ignore all the other things that the body of Christ isn't doing according to the word of God. What they are saying, look, there's a list of things that we are not doing right. In order for us to have a complete restored covenant with God, we have to go back to the very original basics. We have to start over from the beginning. This is what it looks like to have true reformation in the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God. So when we are talking about we are receiving words of uh, revival, words of reformation, is it talking about the totality of Scripture? Is it showing from cover to cover of Genesis to Revelation that that is what God is leading us? Because if it's just certain aspects and leaving out others, then I would say that is not from the Lord. Because we see that what is from the Lord is going completely back to the original covenant that God has made with his people. And this is what God is showing every one of us uh, this morning that we need to do here. And so for us, the mindset that we need to have is of reformation. Lord, I will reform anything in my life that is deviated from the original covenant that you made with me. Amen. The original covenant that God made with us has to constantly be examined, has to constantly be lifted up in the light. And this is why we live in the light. This is how we can have fellowship with God and with the body is always a transparent life. Because then this will allow us to keep the covenant always ongoing, always being refreshed, always being renewed. So that daily there's a reformation going on in our hearts and there's daily going on in our minds. And this is how we become a living sacrifice unto the Lord our God. We also see the other part that they said. It said that not only were they separated from the people of the land, but they were also separated unto the law. What's interesting about separating from the people of the land 
was that this also looked at in chapter 7, which I explained earlier. The people that came by and said, oh, we're Israel, we're Israel. And like, well, prove that you're Israel. Prove that you were with us before the exile. We can't. Then you have to hold off. You can't partake in the things of God right now. It may seem harsh. It may seem like, well, why is God doing that? But the reality is when God makes a covenant, he sticks to that covenant. And anyone can come into that covenant if they do what's according to the covenant. But if you do not act upon what the covenant institutes, then you cannot enter into this covenant. And this is what the Lord is showing. And this is how we need to respond to that. We also see that the law of God is everything that was handed down to his servant Moses. The Abrahamic covenant was unconditional. Nothing that they could do. The Mosaic covenant was conditional. Blessings and curses. Life and death. And he's saying, you choose. What do you want? And we see that these are choices within the covenant. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're already there. And we're going to look at verses 11 through 20. For this commandment that I command you today is not hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth, in your heart, so that you can do it. Verse 15, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over, the Jordan, to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth today as a witness against you today. That I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Therefore choose that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and the length of the days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give. It's a choice for the covenant that we have. What are we choosing this day? What are we choosing every day, saints? Are we choosing the life and the blessings that come with the covenants through obedience or are we choosing the curses that come as a byproduct of the disobedience that we have? Now, for everyone in who is thinking, but wasn't Jesus the curse? Didn't Jesus assume the curse on him hanging at the cross? How does that go against this? How does that apply to a believer that puts his faith in Christ? If this is the law and the curse of the law, how does that apply to a believer to today? Well, if you're thinking that, the beautiful thing is, yes, Jesus was the curse because he hung on the cross. And Deuteronomy 26 shows 27 shows that whoever hangs on the cross or whoever hangs on the tree is cursed. So as Jesus took the curse that the law instituted, by if you disobey, the curse falls on us. Well, when we put our faith in Jesus, he assumes the curse that we were supposed to receive. But let's continue to put our faith in the works of Christ. But see, this is the thing now, right? Is the curses, in a sense, that we could experience as believers... 
is are we having fear when we should be having faith? Are we having depression and sadness when we should be having joy? Right? Are we having a, a victim mindset when we should be having a victorious, overconquering mindset? Right? Things that we, in a sense, allow the situation and the circumstances inflict us in such a way where we live a defeated Christian lifestyle. Where we live a life that doesn't look like the abundant life that Christ came to give us. In Galatians chapter 5, when it talks about that Christ died to give us freedom. And that that freedom is expressed through loving one another so that we can bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of goodness, of faith, of self-control, and humbleness. The fruits that are being produced in our lives. As I was talking with Pastor Slaughter this morning, he made a really good note. It's one thing for us to bear these fruits. It's another thing for us to pick the fruit and then enjoy the fruit. Right, think about that. It's one thing to be able to produce joy and peace in these things and see it affect people's lives. It's another thing for it to impact our own lives. It's another thing for us to enjoy the fruit of the, of the labor of the Lord that's inside of every one of us. And this is what's pretty cool, is that we don't have to live under something that Jesus paid the price for already. We can find our faith and our trust in what Jesus did and the covenant that, the new covenant that he has given us, and we could press on and move forward into what we are doing by what God has called us to do, which is bear fruits in keeping with repentance, bear fruits in the covenant that God has given every one of us. So today, saints, let's submit ourselves to the winnowing of the Lord our God. Let's submit ourselves to the winnowing of leadership here. Let's live a life where we can invite these things into our life so that we can be built up, so that we can see us become the men and women of God that, call, that God has called us to be. Is it hard? Yes. Is it challenging? Absolutely. Do we hate moments of it? Yes, we do. Is our flesh wanting just to run the opposite direction? Yes. But as we saw in Nehemiah 9, if we're making confessions that God has forgiven us of our sins, and we're making confessions of the exaltation of who God is, well, then the next step is not just to have lip service, but it's to have heart service that acts out. And this is the process of living and bearing fruit and showing that we are being obedient to the Lord of God, loving him and obeying him and loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. The last thing that we see when it comes to a restoration of covenant is obligation. Lord, now that you separated us, now that we've been winnowed, now that you went through that process, now, oh God, well, now that we see what is Israel doing in this moment, they obligate themselves to some things. And the obligation we can see is almost in a sense a way of saying, God, not only did you do these things, but now we're going to sustain the winnowing that you did in our life. Now we're going to buckle in and we're going to endure and not be moved. It's almost in the sense of how many times did Israel want to raise up leaders to lead them right back into Egypt? How many times did they say, did you bring us out here to die? We'd rather go back. We'd rather go back to Egypt. But it's interesting, what would they have gone back to? Slavery, death, decay, a broken relationship. They would have went back to nothing. And it's interesting, as I, gave the, as I talked about when uh, the Red Sea was split and that Egypt was swallowed up, literally they would have to cross that Red Sea to get back into Egypt, the path that they originally took. They would die in the process of literally trying to get back to the very Egypt that they wanted to go to. The place of comfort that we think is comfort, the place that we find hope in and, oh, I could be in a corner, I could be isolated, I don't need to be opened up, I could kind of live my life and do my thing. That's the place that's going to bring us to death. That's the place that's going to separate the covenant that we have. But even in the process of us wanting to chase that down, there is even death within that self. 
And that's even part of the depression and the worry and the fear and the anxiety and the stress that we submit ourselves to. Now, I'm not saying it's demonic or sinful to experience certain things. But what I'm saying is it's one to experience something. It's another to give ourselves over to it completely. It's another to allow those things to take over our life. And then it takes the abundant life and it converts it upside down. That's what we're talking about here, saints. The word here, let's read chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. Nehemiah 10, 32 through 39 says, Now this is Israel speaking. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feast, the holy things, and the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offerings to bring it to the house of God according to our Father's house at the times appointed, year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. 35, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of the ground and the first fruits of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God to the priest who minister in the house of God, the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contribution, the fruits of every tree, the wine, the oil, to the priest, to the chambers of the house of God, to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithe, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the Lord to the house of God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers, where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of God. That list is basically them saying, Lord, we trust you and we depend on you completely with our time, our resources, and our gifts. God, we will give you everything that is rightfully yours because it was first yours before it was ever ours. This was a list of part of the things that they were not doing as a part of a broken covenant. So one way to not only identify with God, to identify with his leadership, but also to identify with his ways. And his ways are going to be able to sustain us to continue to live out the covenant that he has instituted with every one of us. This is for us to say, God, I trust you with everything that you've given me. With my job, my leadership position, my home, my wife, my son, my house, etc. I trust everything to you, God. And you have the freedom to do whatever you want with these things. Whether good or bad, I submit it to you. And I trust that your will is far greater than anything that I could ever imagine or think. This is the hard posture that Jerusalem had, uh, that Israel had in Jerusalem, is they were willing to make the hard choices to obligate themselves. And it's interesting that the word obligate, it means for them to take upon them a law or a commandment that's either divine or human upon themselves. And so what they're saying is, here, God, you commanded us to do things, and we're going to do those things. But for us, we could look at that as an oath. We could look at that as a fasting. We can look at it as a commitment that we got that's not necessarily thus says the Lord, but it's, hey, you know what? I recognize that in order for me to continue 
to press on in righteousness, that there's some things that I can do to help me cultivate that better. And that I'm going to hold myself to these certain things. And that I'm not going to do certain things to help protect and enhance my sanctification in Christ. And so these are things that most of us probably have taken at some time or another, where we will put blocks on our phone or any electronical devices, where we're like, as the pastors have, they will not be alone with any woman that is not their wives or related family members. Things that they want to set up to protect and guard what God is doing so that the enemy has no room or anything to try to come in to enter and to break anything that God is trying to do. So we can think through as ourselves, what are things that we could enter into? What are things that we could say, God, this could assist me. This could build me up to stand firm and what you call me as in the righteousness that you were calling me to live out in. And these are things that we can live out. These are things that we can hold ourselves to. And these are things that God would delight in and that he will bless for every one of us. I love the last verse or the last part of this verse where it says, we will not neglect the house of God. It's interesting that in verse 32 through 39, in those six verses, the phrase house of God is mentioned nine times. So it's not just we submit ourselves to the leadership of God. We don't just submit ourselves to uh, God's plan and his covenant, but we also uh, we make ourselves one with the house of God. I explained that we are the house of God, right? We are the temples of the living God. If it, first, if it doesn't start here first, then it doesn't start in anything brick and mortar. Right? The house of God is this beautiful place that God's given us here, right? Are we stewarding this place well? Are we cleaning up after ourselves after services or after Wednesday nights or anytime we get here? Are we taking care of these things, right? Are we coming here prepared on Sunday? Are we reading beforehand if we know what's being preached? Are we praying up? Are we coming at 930 to pray and to intercede? Are we praying for leadership here? Are we praying for each other? Are we meeting with each other outside of times that we have designated time together? How many of you guys came together to prepare to work today after service? Yeah. yeah. Two, three people, four, five, five people. I'm sure more people came. The heart of it is this, right? Pastor Massey gave a call yesterday. He said, look, we have a project that we need to finish. And next Sunday, come prepared, bring your tools, and we're going to work at the service. There's grace for those who already had pre-commitments. Praise the Lord. There's no condemnation. But for those of us here that did not have pre-commitments prior to Sunday... And we just want to go home and rest. And we just want to go home and kick our feet up. But we don't want to obey the leading of our pastors. We don't want to contribute. We don't want to adhere to the service of our house of the Lord. We have to examine our hearts. This is exactly what Jerusalem, this is exactly what Nehemiah is talking about here. It's these little things that we may look over like, I don't need to do that. They have plenty of people. I'm not skilled. I don't know how to use a drill. I don't know how to carry that drywall. It's not for me. It's just showing up. It's being an extra hand. Is asking, what could I do? How could I be here to help out? Is being able, hey, I have a gift and want to serve it for the house of God. Hey, there's, the Lord has blessed me financially, and I want to be obedient to giving God what is rightfully his first. Right? It's about supporting our pastors and loving them and blessing all of our leadership as a whole. It's about taking care of the service of the work of God. The ministries that are here, are we engaged? Are we pressing in to home groups, to youth ministry, to Spanish ministry, to women ministry, are we going into prison ministry? Are we doing the ministries that God has already instituted here? Are we giving of our time and stuff there? Or are we just trying to show up on Sundays? These are the things that we could apply today. These are the things that we can move forward into today to be able to not neglect the house of our God. Saints, 
in Nehemiah 10, the covenant was restored. It took nine chapters to get to this point. It took us four months to get here. We still have snow outside. And we're going to continue pressing on, whether snow comes next week or the week after, until we finish the book of Nehemiah. Right? The heart is a covenant that could be restored through separation and obligation. God is calling every one of us to that today and every day for the rest of our lives. Let's do that well, and let's do it joyfully. If we could all please stand up. Let's let the Lord really burden these words in our hearts, these seeds that are planted in us. Let him winnow out any distractions. Let him winnow out any lack of faith. Let him winnow out any things that want to come as a distraction to the planted word of God this morning. And let's really let them sink in and let God really separate the truth from any other lie that's trying to go on out there right now in our lives. That as soon as we walk out these doors, that the enemy just wants to flood us with things that are not of him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we thank you, Lord, that you're a God of covenants, Lord. God, faithful to a thousand generations, Lord God. Lord, we're thankful, God, that you've burdened us to have a confession, God, of who we were but who you've always been in the midst of our rebelliousness towards you, God. Faithfulness to have a confession of who you are and to exalt you, God, as head over all, as God over everything, God, in our lives, Lord. Lord, we're thankful that with confession you give us the burden of repentance, God, the burden to turn from the things of this world and to turn to you, to your ways, to your leadership, and to your house, mighty God. Lord, let us have a desire to keep a renewed covenant, God, as your people did in Nehemiah, Father, that we press on, that we run with these things, God. Holy Spirit, we ask that you magnify this word in every one of our lives, God. We ask that we meditate on this word, God. We ask, Lord God, that you have put things in our hearts that we can go back throughout this week and further study on, God. That we can receive more manna from you, God, throughout the week on this word, Father. Lord, we pray that we can finish this series well. Lord, that we can receive everything that you have from us from the book of Nehemiah, God. And Father, we're just thankful, Lord, that you give us a day of snow, that we can even enjoy everything that you give us, God. Lord, we bless you, God. You are worthy of the praises that we could ever give you in this room, Lord, in every part of our life, Lord. We love you, God, and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.